Hello, I'm Pastor Eric Longman. Welcome to Adult Bible Study at Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Rogers, Arkansas. Each week we gather to talk through some passage of scripture or some interesting topic that has come up in the life of a church, and we invite you to come along for the ride and to listen in. Just a bit of a setup, Holy Trinity is a member congregation of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, or LCMS. We believe in salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and we place Jesus and his suffering, death, and resurrection for the sake of sinful people like you and me at the center of our teaching. You should know going in that I'm very much open to exploring rabbit holes in Bible study. I take on it as simple. Whatever passage of scripture we're looking at is just an entry point. It gets us into God's word and it opens the door for the discussion to go wherever the Holy Spirit takes us. So don't be surprised when we wander down some pathways that maybe are only tangentially related to the topic at hand. It makes for some interesting conversations, and we're blessed with a group that's happy to share their experiences along the way. So with that, let's jump in to this week's episode. Good morning, everybody. I love all of this. <laughs> Truly, I do. Um, hey, welcome to Adult Bible Study at Holy Trinity Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor Longman. Just a reminder for everybody in the room, we are recording. We post this on a podcast, so don't say anything you don't want to have on the internet forever. You know. Um, a, a welcome to our guest, um, Whit. You're from Texas, right? Correct. Yeah. Arlington. Okay. Great to have you with us. Yeah. Um, so we're working through the Book of Concord, actually. Nice. And uh, spending some time, we've been looking at the Augsburg Confession and the Apology and kind of talked about where that came from and what's going on. Y'all should have a sheet that says Sin and Free Will at Session 3. Um, and if you don't have one, I think we got some extras up here, right? Are they in front of you? Yep. Leroy? Okay. Um, we're, we're kind of partway through that lesson. Two was pretty good, though. I mean, you know. <laughs> Everybody got session three, right? Um, I will warn you, Wit. <laughs> my deal is this. Whatever we're studying is a is a pretext. It gets us into God's word. It gets us into you know something to chew on. But I'm real fond of rabbit holes, and I'll run down every one of them. So kind of wherever the Holy Spirit takes our conversation is where we wind up going. Um, I steer clear of slippery slopes, and I'll let the Holy Ghost provide all the perfect. <laughs> perfect, perfect, perfect. Um, so before we jump in, um, any questions anybody has about anything? When's fall coming? You're done with summer. <laughs> Do you know, we've got a guy booked to come stain the fence at our house, and he said he was going to start on Wednesday or Thursday. And I looked at the weather report, the high temperature, just the temperature, not the heat index on Thursday, 103 degrees. I was like, listen, I want the fence stained, but I don't want you to, like, die. So maybe we should put it off. Um, what else? Any questions? I don't know when fall's coming. I, I got nothing. Any questions about anything? All right. Um, the, the summer picnic for families with youth 
is at um, Dwayne and Amy's farm this afternoon, 1230. Um, so you probably already know about that if you're part of that. We'd love to have you there. Um, what else is going on? The um, Samaritan Community Center right next door, I've lost my bearings, right next door, um, is doing their annual drive for school supplies. They put together backpacks to give to kids who need school supplies. Um, so check the news and notes. There's a list of the stuff that they're looking for um, if you would like to make a contribution to that. Um, you can either take it and drop it off right next door, or you can drop it off in the office and Krista will gather that together and take it over. So um, that's in the news and notes too. I don't think there's anything else. Yes. Uh, Thank you. Oh, cool. Okay. So yeah. Bella Vista Lutheran Church has a choir concert today. Orchestra and all. Neat. What time? Three thirty. Three thirty in their sanctuary. Okay. And you can. I don't remember the address, but Bella Vista Lutheran Church. Cool. Thank you for that. Yeah, your GPS will take you there, no doubt. Anything else? Anything else? All right, let's begin with a devotion. Today is June 25th. Um, this is the book is by faith alone. It's just a series of devotions written by Martin Luther, one for every day of the year, and we just use whatever today's is. And today's is from James chapter four, verse six. God opposes arrogant people, but He is kind to humble people. And the title of this is "Between Arrogance and Despair." Luther wrote. We shouldn't become proud in times of prosperity, nor despair in times of trouble. On the one hand, we have to keep our arrogance in check by fearing God. On the other hand, we should cling to his mercy in those times when we think that he's angry with us. By doing so, we won't crash into heaven with our big heads or fall flat on our faces on the earth. But the person who's humble and has a broken heart is neither proud nor full of despair. But it's difficult for us to avoid both arrogance and despair. In our weakness, we sometimes swerve to the right and sometimes to the left. Whenever we feel overconfident or full of despair, we have to make an effort to resist these tendencies. We can't give in to either one. When an archer misses the bullseye, he's still awarded points for hitting the target. Similarly, God is pleased when we at least fight against arrogance and despair. Even if we may not show enough joy in times of trouble or enough reverence for God in times of prosperity, he doesn't hold that against his faithful people. We have Christ as our mediator, and through him we are considered true saints, even though we have barely started to act like holy people. In summary, those with many troubles should lift their spirits by acknowledging God's mercy and remembering what Christ has done for them. And those with few troubles should drive out arrogance by living in the fear of God. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to gather around your word and to be fed by it. We pray that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and our minds to understand and to take from it the truth that you want us to have. Um, we lift all of it up and ask it in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, we've been, like I said, we're working through this um, session three on sin and free will. We're really looking at three articles in the Augsburg Confession. Article two, article, I know, article 18, and article 19. So these are all kind of interrelated. Article two is about original sin. We spent some time talking about that last week. 
Article 18 is about free will, and we're going to dive into that a little deeper today. And then Article 19 is on the cause of sin. And so you can see how all of these are kind of tied together. Um, I want to read you some... We're in, on page 17 in the handout. It's the second page. Um, let me read you some sections out of those three articles in the Confession, then we've got some questions we'll dive into. From the Augsburg Confession, our churches teach that since the fall of Adam, all who are naturally born, we talked about that last week, are born with sin, that is, without the fear of God, without trust in God, and with the inclination to sin, called concupiscence. Concupiscence is a disease, an original vice that is truly sin. It damns and it brings eternal death on those who are not born anew through baptism and the Holy Spirit. Our churches condemn the Pelagians and others who deny that original depravity is sin, thus obscuring the glory of Christ's merit and benefits. Pelagians argue that a person can be justified before God by his own strength and reason. Our churches teach, and this is from uh, Article 18, our churches teach that a person's will has some freedom to choose civil righteousness and do things subject to reason. It has no power without the Holy Spirit to work the righteousness of God, that is, spiritual righteousness. For the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. This righteousness is worked in the heart when the Holy Spirit is received through the Word. And then from Article 19, our, church, our churches teach that although God creates and preserves nature, the cause of sin is located in the will of the wicked, that is, the devil and ungodly people. Without God's help, this will turns itself away from God. As Christ says, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character. And that's speaking about Satan. So, before we jump into the questions, thoughts, comments, observations, anything that jumped out at you or surprised you or didn't surprise you? <laughs> just not fair that when we're born, we're just born. Yeah, right? It's not fair. But this is why we're so hacked off at Adam. That's right. Jerk. That's right. <laughs> and, and Eve, she was in on it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're kind of stuck with it, right? Yeah. I, I like I like the imagery or the the understanding that it is it's a genetic problem, right? This it is something is we've genetic. inherited. Yeah. That we've inherited, and that it's a disease. So that we're kind of stuck with it. Yeah. What else? Yeah, John. There's a reference to natural born. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah. I we you know in those days that we were going to have tests. <laughs> <laughs> We, that might have to be revised at some point. So I, I think... <laughs> does, that, does that not refer more to uh, a, a child of birth rather than born again? Yeah, yeah. So the, the, the distinction kind of is between your, your like childbirth, like you said, versus being born again as in John chapter 3 and Nicodemus and all that kind of stuff. Remember, in John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. And he's like, you know, all right, we know you're coming from God, so like, tell me more about what's going on here. And Jesus goes, oh, you got to be born again. And, and Nicodemus is like, wait, what? And he can't make sense of it. He can't understand what he's saying. So we talk about the, these two kinds of birth, right? There's, there's birth, your natural birth from your mom and dad. And then there's rebirth in holy baptism. There's also two deaths, by the way. Have we talked about that in here? So like there's natural death, 
you know, that we, that we all deal with that is a, a consequence of sin. But then there's, there's eternal death, which, which is, you know, separation that death that leads God. separation from God for eternity. That's hell, right? And so if you've only had the one birth, the natural birth, and you haven't had a rebirth in water, then you're subject to the second death. Those who have been baptized and believe, not subject to the second death. Does that make sense? Um, I think, John, part of what's going on here, though, is that they're, they're focusing our attention on what it means to be human. Okay? And, and so when they say all of those who are born are natural birth, what they're saying is every single human in the world. Mm-hmm. Now, you're right. We live in a time where, like, that's a suspect statement anymore. Like, you know, with genetics and all the weird, crazy stuff that's going on, natural birth might not have the same meaning or understanding as it did when it was written in the you know, 1500s. Um, but I think the point was to kind of, because, you know, what we wrestled with last week was this idea was, you know, well, what about angels? Well, what about Satan? He was an angel and he fell. And, you know, all those others that clearly there can be sin among those who are not born naturally. And their point is not so much to, like, exclude them from the discussion as it is to make it very clear that they're talking about every single human being on the earth with the exception of Jesus. He's the one that they exclude by saying natural birth. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, somewhere in John, when John the Baptist was a woman born, mm-hmm. the, the term was used yeah. a woman yeah. born. So. Yeah, and I, I think that's just a nod to the fact that he's you know, just another guy. Right? All right. Other thoughts? All right, let's jump into the questions then. <laughs> Number 30. What words would you describe, would you use to describe sin and to describe sin's power and result? What words would you use to describe sin? Bonus points if you can work the word concupiscence into your answer. <laughs> well, go ahead, Ken. Not believing in God. Okay, not believing in God. So that's sort of like fundamental sin, right? And then everything else spawns from that. Cool. What else? Deeds against God. Okay, deeds against God or contrary to his law? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. What else? Robert, you... I see gears turning back there. Yeah. Well, it, it could be also um, against his, his Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The law. That's kind of the starting the point where Luther goes. I mean, we, if you look at small catechism, that's where Luther starts, right? Is, is you want to boil down what God's command looks like or what it looks like to be in relationship with him, it's the Ten Commandments. Um, and, and what I think is cool about that, um, grammatically speaking, if you look at the Ten Commandments, we, you know, we hear them, I think we oftentimes hear them because of translation as like God wagging his finger at us or something, you know, you shall not do this, you shall not do that. Um, grammatically, in Hebrew, that's really not kind of a, the oomph that it carries. In Hebrew, if you look at it, it, it's actually probably a better translation to say you will not. You will not have other gods. You will not commit adultery. You will not commit murder. You know, all those kind of things. And I think what's going on is, I mean, understand the context in which the Ten Commandments are given. God has just gathered his people, brought them out of slavery in Egypt. He, he calls Moses up onto the mountaintop and he goes, hey, I got, I got some rules that are going to help you all do this a little bit better. And, and I think what he's saying is, listen, 
here's what it looks like to be in a right relationship with me. And if you're, if you're oriented toward God appropriately and you understand that God is God and I am not, and you comprehend this notion of God as creator and yourself as creature, this is what your life looks like then as an outcome of that. You don't have other gods. You know, you don't take the Lord's name in vain. You will honor the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You're going to want to hear God's word. You're going to follow him and learn from him. You know, you will honor your mother and your father. You will not murder, you know, and so on and so forth. And it's, in a sense, it's a picture of what it looks like to be in a right relationship with God. And, and so in that respect to what you're getting at, Robert, when you're not in a right relationship with God, that's sin. That you, you know, it always starts with the first commandment. You've got some other God, it's usually me. <laughs> right? Not me, Pastor Longman, but me, myself. You know? um, you've got some other God and you're going to do things your way. And that usually means rejecting the things that God has said to do. And so that, that's sort of the essence of sin, ultimately. Uh, words describe sin, Okay. All right. Yeah, the deceptions of the devil. So that it's that pull away from God that Satan is always busy. We we've talked about in here. I think the screw tape letters, <laughs> C.S. Lewis. And if you've never read it, you should. It's fabulous. It's well. The interesting thing about sin is yeah, it is very easily sugar coated. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it doesn't always look like. But sin, right? You know, every sin is it can half be very true. subtle. What's every that? Every sin is half true. <laughs> In a sense, yeah. Or, <laughs> or is, it can use that? Can be justified. Yeah, right. It, it's well. So here's a great example, right? Go all the way back to the beginning. Satan comes to Eve. And he goes, did, Jesus, "Did God really say?" Right? And he starts quoting things that are like some of the things God did say, but some of it he didn't. And and the trick was, Eve wasn't sure. Well, right? She. Yeah, what he, did he say? Uh, well, I, th- I think probably, you know, he said... We, not even touch it. Not even touch it. He never said that. He never said that. that. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that's... <coughs> there's always kind of a nugget of truth in there somehow or another, in, in Satan's temptations anyway. And that's what C.S. Lewis is getting at in the screw tape letters. It's just how banal and stupid and simplistic a lot of the ways that Satan works on us are. To pull us away from, but it, it, in the source of all our sin, the devil it, isn't he at the root of it? Or are we, do we have free will? To do things? <laughs> free will. There we go. I'm glad we got there. So, what free will do we have to commit sin? Well, to do good. So, do good or bad. Here's here's how Luther talks about it. You have free will. Okay. You have free will to decide what you eat for breakfast. You have free will to decide who you marry, what you do for a living, how you get to church in the morning, what what route you take to get here. You have free will to do all of those things. You, You have the authority to make those decisions for yourself. Where free will ends, though, those are all things that are kind of within the civil realm, right? Where free will ends is with regard to spiritual things. And, and the problem is that, it, and it goes back to original sin, yeah. right? Because of this disease that we have, you don't have the ability or the will to, quote, make a decision for God. 
or to do things that are pleasing to God because your sinful nature that you have inherited from Adam, you, that we're back to concupiscence and now I get the bonus points. Um, <laughs> your sinful nature always pulls you towards sin. So, so in a sense, it's not so much free will to do sin, it's just like that's just who you are. That's just what you do. And, and, and to say free will would suggest that you can decide one or the other. But your nature won't allow you to make any decision other than sin. It's always, it's always opposed to God. It's always averse to what he has to say. So how do we get out of this, right? I mean, how does this problem get solved? Well, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is the one who steps in and actually grabs you and, and makes you... The language that, that Paul uses, and we'll hear it actually in the readings today, the, the language that Paul uses is he makes you a slave now to righteousness. That you're not, you are, in a sense, before the Holy Spirit steps in, you are a slave to sin. You can do nothing but what sin tells you to do. Or Satan, if you want to plug a name into it. And the Holy Spirit grabs a hold of you and changes you, and you now become a slave to righteousness that, that your desire always is to follow what God chooses to do. But the only way that happened is the Holy Spirit reached out and grabbed you. You go back to Ephesians 2. Paul says that you were dead in the sins and the trespasses in which you once lived. That is, your sinful nature caused you to be dead, like eternally dead. And the Holy Spirit reached out and grabbed a hold of you because dead people can do what? Nothing. Right? The Holy Spirit grabs you, lifts you up, and brings you to life and, and points you in a different way. So, free will, I mean, is what happens, I think, in kind of generic American Christianity is free will gets thrown around in, in spheres where it doesn't actually exist. We don't have free will to, like, choose Jesus or choose to follow him or choose to do. The only way that happens is the Spirit takes us there. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Y'all can argue with me too. Well, so, well, I'm okay with that. Well, I, I've been taught that we have a spirit within us, human spirit, which is sinful in nature. Mm -hmm. But we also, by believing in Jesus, have the Holy Spirit right. within you us. Right. You do after. Now, yeah. You got these two spirits <laughs> within you. Yeah. There's an angel and there's a devil. <laughs> that, <laughs> after your baptism, yeah. Well, I mean, don't you like gold? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what are you doing? So, so what for pennies? <laughs> what you're describing is that constant tension between our sinful nature and the spirit within us that comes to us after our baptism, after we come to faith, that we still live in this sinful body in the middle of a fallen and sinful world, and there's always that pull towards sin in our lives. And so we're constantly dealing with that That's tension. That's where you got a free will well, to decide between the two. Yeah, but the only way you make the decision on the right side of that is that the Holy Spirit does that. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Your, you, quote, your nature never would do that. So you don't have that free will. Actually. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> so, so again, it's always the Spirit and His work in you. Whit, go ahead. Person that hasn't been baptized, yeah, have the ability to choose to hope or not prior to the Holy Ghost. Yeah, I'm going to say yes in this yes. respect. So, if you just stick with that one notion for a moment, right? You 
you, you reference the person as being dead. Yeah. They do not have free will to take on. Okay. Right. That's a hard one for me to swallow. Okay. Fair enough. It's so because hope and faith. I think a dead person has free will to the extent where they can choose for themselves that one aspect that puts everything else in motion. Right. So, yeah. so here's what I, I see where you're going. Yeah. 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 Because you have the you have the inclination to sin. You're born in sin. You're born dead. Mm -hmm. But you have the free will to, to follow live, those to inclinations of evil. Right. Or not, yeah, yeah. and to be open. Yeah, and that—that's—I mean, Scripture basically teaches you don't that your nature will always take the sinful path. The, the nature, now, but the soul and the spirit—that's what tries to to direct this. Yeah. Meat sack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And here's what here's what I think causes that, and and probably by leaning into baptism that confused the issue. Baptism is, is the thing I can point to that says this is where I know for a fact that God claimed me. It's a miracle. Because at that moment, you know, water was poured on my head and I know what applies to me. But what Paul says about faith is this. And this is Romans chapter 10. Faith comes from hearing, hearing through the word of God. So, so one of the means of grace by which the Spirit reaches out and grabs a hold of us and gives us that hope that you're talking about is hearing the word of God. However and wherever that happens... Inside a person of themselves, no. The voice of or no. Somehow or another, it comes to the word of God. Somehow, and and again, above my pay grade, you know, that's the spirit at work. Somehow or another, yeah. Yep. 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 And and essentially, where we go with that then is, and this is a, like 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 the ultimate comfort. Right is to know that every aspect of your salvation is in the hands of God. And, no yeah, right. And that, no and that, like, because it, because if it's if it's dependent on me at the beginning saying, "All right, God, I'm going to trust you to do this." Did I do it right? I mean, did I did I really trust? Did I say the right prayer? Did I really believe? You know, I mean, there's always that little element of doubt because I know if it's left up to me, I'm gonna hose it up somehow. But if every aspect of it, and this is the, the the theological term is monergism, right? That that it is God and God alone who affects our salvation through the means of the Word, through the sacraments, you know, through through all the ways that the Spirit works in our lives to give us that hope and that thing to grab a hold of. It all is from outside of us. The, the Latin term is extra nos. It comes from outside of us. That's the Spirit who brings us to that place. So baptism is the, is the cool thing about baptism is it's the thing that you can point to so that you have certainty that God has done that to you and has claimed you in that way. So it's like an anchor. Yeah, in a sense. Yeah. Gives yeah. Us yeah. Yeah. But not in the sense that if you hang on to it, you drown. <laughs> right. Go ahead, Myron. I'm curious. What church denominations do not baptize? Do not baptize. Ooh, that's interesting. Well, I mean, you outside of Christianity, a lot. I mean, you know, that's you know, Muslim. I don't know that they have baptism. Certainly not the way we do. No, no. 
Um, Buddhism, Hinduism, Taoism, any of those, baptism is not a part of that. Jehovah's Witnesses do, but they don't use the same words that we do, and we would not recognize that as a valid baptism. Um, because it's not in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, which is the words that Christ gave us to use. Um, and I'm not, I wouldn't probably part Jehovah's Witnesses in the Christian camp. They might, but I wouldn't. Um, same for Mormons. Mormons use baptism, but in, in very, very different ways. Um, and with very different understanding of what's going on. Um, but within Christianity, I don't know that I can think of a denomination that does not baptize. Now, you know, you have distinctions and, and differences about when. Like, you know, what are, the, what are the boundaries around when somebody's baptized? Do you baptize infants or not? Um, you know, and, and you, there are certainly differences between denominations around that kind of stuff. But, but I'm not sure I can think of one. I mean, I'm, do you know of one? Does anybody know of one? I can't come over here. What? Go ahead. Are you putting the Christian Science Church? They do not baptize. They probably don't. No, they don't. Yeah. And again, I'm not sure I would put them in the Christian That's what I was thinking. They, they may put themselves there, but I don't think I would. Yeah. Yeah. Or, <laughs> you know, you want to go really far, like Scientology or something like that. Yeah. Um, all right. So... Ultimately, sin is this inborn separation from God that we have, and we are inclined to only evil, and that leads us to actively disobey God and His will. So our sinfulness, the, the language that sometimes uses, it enslaves us to, um, to evil. It always places us under the condemnation of God, absent His intervention. Okay? So describe the human condition then on the basis of Article 2. Article 2 is the original sin article. What's our human condition? By default. Lost. Yeah. That, you may have heard it in the baptismal rite um, that Scripture teaches that we are all... Um, what are the exact words? I don't remember now. Sinful. Yeah. Have you got a hymnal in front of you? Well, yeah, I mean, this is where we're borrowing it from. Yeah, since the fall of Adam, all who are naturally born are born with sin, without fear of God, without trusting God, with the inclination to sin. And there's that concupiscence word again. Um, we are under the power of the devil until Christ claims us as his own. That's the language that we use in the baptismal rite. So, so our human condition from the get-go is condemned. Right? So how does hereditary or original sin express itself in human life? What does inherited sin make people incapable of doing? Save themselves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Choose God, right? No, you can't save yourself. Right, right. Um, evil lust, inclinations. We are without the fear of God, without trust in God, with the inclination to sin, all of that kind of stuff. So that's our natural state. What is God's attitude towards sin and sinfulness? You don't think he likes it? I don't think he likes it. Listen to the sermon this morning. <laughs> that was 
sent into Jeremiah had quite a life. <laughs> it yeah. was tough. Oh wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. One of the things I didn't get into in the sermon this morning was the language, and thank you for reading it, by the way. The, the first line of the reading is, is bizarre, isn't it? Did that kind of draw you up short? It's Jeremiah speaking, and he goes, he goes, Oh, Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. Yeah. And you read that, and you're like, What is he talking about? <laughs> like, how does God deceive somebody? And, and it's actually... The, the Hebrew word underneath it is much more complex. Deceived is one way to understand it, but there's a whole lot going on in there. And, and it's, a, it's a word that can certainly mean what we think of as being deceived, like where somebody sells you a bill of goods, right? Like a used car salesman. That kind of deceit, we think of that. And it can mean that, but, but it can also mean somebody who's talked into something kind of against their better judgment which is a little bit lighter form of it. But it can also, the Hebrew word, can mean um, a man who, who talks a woman into marrying him by speaking to her tenderly and being kind to her. So, so it's, not, it, it's not entirely the negative connotation that I think we put on that word deceive. And, and basically, I think what Jeremiah is saying is, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Like when I said yes to be your prophet, I had no idea what the implications of that were for my life. And he's, he's writing that right after he has preached this <coughs> hellfire and brimstone sermon and been beaten and put in the stocks and all this kind of stuff. It has been the worst day of ministry in his life. And he's sitting back and he's going, oh man, God, what did you get me into? <laughs> And, and he talks about all the things that he's had to endure as a prophet and, and how hard that has been. And then he's like, but I can't not. I can't not tell people this stuff. It, yeah, it burns a hole in me. It's like a fire shut up inside of me. I've got to say it. And then I love that he ends that passage on praise the Lord, sing to the Lord. You know, He's like, I, I know you're with me and I know that I'm doing what... You want me to do? We all hear the word. Uh, I will always be with you. Yeah. I I, I will be the shepherd. You are going to be the sheep, and I'm going to take care of you all the way. Yeah. And then you get your head cut off. <laughs> yeah. But I, but I love that you're right that that promise comes again and again and again. It's like God is constantly reminding us. Listen, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Do not fear. You know, have no fear. All this kind of stuff. Don't. My favorite one is like right after he rises and the women come to the tomb, right? And Jesus meets them and, and he, <laughs> he meets the women at the tomb and he goes, do not fear. That's the translation that we have. That's a bad translation because the Greek, like literally the Greek says, stop freaking out. <laughs> that, that's really the sense of what he's saying. He's like, stop freaking out. It's okay. I told you. But, <laughs> just chill out. It's okay. But, but so much of it, you know, it's like we constantly got to be reminded of that. You know, it's okay. I'm with you. And once again, the devotion for the day actually is pretty relevant. Robert, go ahead. Doesn't God, uh, like what you mentioned just now about the prophet, yeah. that, um, doesn't that test, God tests us all the time, like he tests Abraham in, in killing his son, and he's got this right. his dagger in his hand, yeah. ready to plunge it in his, his son's chest yeah. to kill him, and he's, he's, he says, stop. Hold on. <laughs> Yeah. 
here's here's the here's, here's the, the ram animal to kill you know, yeah that. but that is the test that that he puts in front of us yeah so what is it and so the what's test a test versus a temptation or based on faith yeah so i mean ultimately what it comes down to let's use abraham as as the example i mean what what was the expected outcome I mean, how does he, how do you quote pass that test? To have faith that he, as God, he can he can um, revive his son anytime with the right. stamp of his finger. Right. Out of these stones. So, so Abraham's orientation was all about trusting that God would would keep his promise. I mean, yes. that's what it ultimately boils down to. And God, and so the the te- and that's a, that's a it's a weird passage. I mean, I'm gonna give you that right. It's a weird passage. What is God up to here? What's going on? But the promise that God had made to Abraham was you're going to be the father of many nations. You're going to have so many descendants that you can't even count them, right? More than the grains of sand on the seashore, more than the stars in the sky. You can't even count them. At that moment, he's got one son, (laughs) Isaac. That's it. And he's 100 years old, right? He's 100. And he's like, I ain't making another one. And, and God says, hey, listen, you got to take him out and kill him. And in the back of Abraham's mind, he's like, well, if I kill Isaac because I trust in God, how am I, how's he going to make a mighty nation out of me? How's it, how's, are there going to be so many descendants you can't count if we're killing the one that God has given me? But God gave him a son when he was 100. He could give him another one. And that's, that's where his heart was, right? Or... He could raise Isaac, raise Isaac to life. Raise okay. Isaac from the dead. Right. So Abraham is like, he's like, cool. I All right, I don't know how. You will do that's what it comes down to, and that's what that really that's what the test was about. Was do you trust that God is going to bring about the promises that He has made, even though you can't see how that could possibly be? That's what the test looks like, and it's not a temptation to sin. Like it's not God's not trying to trip you up or something. Ever, God doesn't do that. And there was when I interviewed. Um, so the process to go to seminary <laughs> involves, at the very earliest stages, an interview with a group, a board of folks that are appointed by the district president of your, where you're going to church to basically kind of vet it and make sure that your intentions are appropriate and that you you like have really thought through what you're getting into and stuff like that. And there was a woman on, on my interview board, and I, I don't remember her name, but one of the things that I just loved that she said was, when you read scripture, always remember that God is the good guy, mm. right? Because so often I think we read scripture and we want to cast him as like, as like the evil overlord or something like that, or we forget that God's the good guy and that he's always out for the good of his people. And yeah, he gets angry, and yeah, he punishes, and yeah, I mean, all those things are there, but he does that as a loving father, and he's, he's always the good guy. And, and when we lose that perspective or that orientation, we tend to, like, you know, misunderstand what God is up to or something like that. He's not, he's not up there waiting to trip you up. There's no, and, and this is, I've seen another quote floating around, like, there's no angry God hiding behind Jesus waiting to kind of smite you or something like that. When he sent his son Jesus to die for you, it's because he wanted to save you. 
And, and that is done and accomplished and finished with the death and the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. And your salvation then is, is sure, certain, complete, and finished. He's so sure he made a bet with the devil in Job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one of my favorite books. I love that. Job is hard, though. You want, pick a, you want to pick a tough one to read? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he, well, he knew he knew what he God God was holding inside straight. The devil didn't. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> always, always. All right. Um, so <laughs> this all started with what's God's attitude towards sin and sinfulness? Wrath. Okay. The confessors, those who wrote the the um, confession, compare original sin to a disease. In what ways is sin like a disease? It's destructive. It's destructive, yeah, sure. It spreads. It spreads. Ooh, I love it. Like it doesn't just affect you, right? Your sin impacts other people. It's contagious. <laughs> yeah, what else? It's permitted. Okay. It's permitted by God as a test. Sometimes. Sometimes. Mm -hmm. God doesn't tempt. But he doesn't tempt, right. No. He does allow it to happen, though. Yeah, he used in charge. Yeah. He may allow it to happen, but he doesn't tempt. I mean, to, to yeah. you know. Oh, it's a joke, joke. <laughs> right, right. But he does allow Now, here's an interesting thing. And this is, this is imagery from Revelation, basically. But it says that, yeah, I mean, Satan, you know, is kind of running havoc mm -hmm. right now. But he's chained. Like, there are limits to what Satan is allowed to do. And yeah, you can look around. It's not real hard to see what he's up to and to see his activity on earth and how it, it's manifesting itself. But remember that he's chained and that he's limited in what he's allowed to do. And, and we know the outcome. Like, we know the final end of the story, right? Because we've read Revelation, which, by the way, is a book of comfort. <laughs> It's that affirmation that your trust is placed correctly and that God actually does prevail and has prevailed in the end. Quit pinching her. <laughs> um, how, oh, this, here, we'll get into a good one. How does original sin underscore the necessity for the baptism of children? The only vaccination that works. Yeah, okay. It to be done as soon as possible. They've got that illness too, and they need that medicine. That's cool. What else, John? Oh, I don't know. You had a look on your face like there was. Oh, you were a pensioner. Okay. <laughs> what else? I have a question about original sin. Okay. Okay. Did they have free will? Weren't they born? Weren't they supposed to be born perfect? God made them? Yeah. And then she made a decision to listen to... Right, so here's, here are the only two people in the world who didn't have original sin. Right? That's right. Right. I mean, it comes through them, but they didn't have it initially. Right. So what did their world so look they like? They They lived in a perfect world. Right. And they weren't naturally born, though. They weren't naturally born. No, no. Yeah, no belly buttons. That's how you're going to know them in heaven. That's how you're going to know them in heaven. They don't have belly buttons. 
rabbit holes. <laughs> well, I can't think of you. Scam them. You know, we use the word scam all the time. Yeah. They were being scammed. They were being scammed. <laughs> I don't have an answer for it. I, I don't know. I don't know. Because Scripture is silent on it. It doesn't say specifically what their situation was. Other than, I think you're right, to say they were, they were created perfect. They had... They lived in a world that was perfect as God had made it. Everything was right. They were in a relationship with God where they walked with him in the garden every day and all that kind of stuff. Um, God creates everything with free will. Yeah. So, he created the angels with free will, and that's how they could make the so decision to... I, I think the distinction listen. comes in, in, in direction. And what I mean by that is they're born into perfection, with the the inclination toward doing the right thing, with the will to choose to do the wrong thing, we have the opposite problem. We're born corrupted with original sin, with an inclination only to do the wrong, and no possibility to choose the right. And so our scenario is different than theirs in direction, <laughs> right? And, and it's Satan then who steps in and tempts Eve and then Adam toward doing the wrong, whereas our inclination is always to do the wrong, and we need to be, there needs to be an intercession for us to do the right. We have no opportunity to do the right. So I don't know if that helps, lends any, sheds any light on it, but. Um, may just be one of those things that God says you don't need to ask him when you get there and let us know yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, had, I had, yeah. a, had a friend that had a list when she hit those gates it's like alright God here's my questions Yeah, I'll put that one on mine <laughs> you're the second person in like three days who has talked about somebody like that who actually literally kept a list <laughs> I wonder if it's the same person uh, she lives in Illinois, but she could, yeah, no. if you were to ask her, she would say, number one is that... Oh, I'm going to add that to the list, too. Right? <laughs> Somebody, where did it come up? Somebody was asking about, oh, what was it? Mosquitoes or something. They were like, what's up with that? Like, why did God create mosquitoes? <laughs> I'm going to add it to the list. <laughs> Ellen DeGeneres does a hilarious bit about that, by the way. She, she's like, I don't understand why God created mosquitoes. And then she gets a phone call. And she's like, hello? Well, oh, hi, God. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I was wondering about the mosquitoes. Um, oh, right. well, I never thought about how many people work in that industry. That's a good point. That's <laughs> anyway. So, <laughs> yeah, right. so in what ways is the, is the human will free? And in what ways is our will absolutely enslaved? Like, where do we have free will? In the civil realm. In the civil realm. Meaning, what I eat for breakfast, how I get to work, who I marry, all that kind of stuff. Where, where do we not have free will? Anything spiritual. Anything in the spiritual realm. That's, that's where we don't have it. Luther wrote a great book called The Bondage of the Will. He's basically arguing with Erasmus about this. Uh, what it means to have free will, and who, who has it, who doesn't. So how does Article 19 describe the cause of sin? And let me, I'll read it to you again. 19, let, oh, I'll give you this too. The, this, by the way, this is the reader's 
edition of the Book of Concord that has these great little introductions to things. Um, so the introduction to Article 19 says, the blame for sin rests solely with the devil and with us, not with God. Apart from God's mercy in Christ, there's no hope for the wicked. Years after the Augsburg Confession was written, in order to accentuate the depth of mankind's sinful condition, some Lutherans would imply that sin is of the very essence of people. Now, the result of that faulty teaching is that God becomes responsible for, indeed, the creator of sin. Sin is a deep corruption of that which God created. It's entirely mankind's fault. So God's not like the creator of sin. He's not the one who made it. He's not responsible for it. We're responsible for it because of our own brokenness. Okay. So what Article 19 says is our churches teach that although God creates and preserves nature, the cause of sin is located in the will of the wicked. That is the devil and ungodly people. Without God's help, this will turns itself away from God. As Christ says, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character. So where is the cause of sin? Or more importantly, who is not the cause of sin? God, right? Yeah, you can't lay it at God's... I mean, it's not like... You can't go to God and say, why did you create sin? What were you thinking? <laughs> You could, but he would laugh like that. <laughs> so, so where is the cause of sin? In whom? Satan and Satan and me. Yeah, us, us, our sinful nature. That's the cause of sin. That's where it comes from. Now, who was it who said? I mean, God may allow it, He'll permit it, but he, He's not the cause of it. God has a free will. Oh, he's got all the will. <laughs> he's got all the will. Yeah. He can let, he can let it be. Yeah. be patient. So, what do you... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry, Joseph. So, based on the idea that God did not agree free will that created Satan, because Satan was an angel, correct? Yes. God not create the angels? Yeah. But he didn't create him evil. Right. Satan he turned. For free will. Yeah, and this I think kind of comes back so, to what you were talking about about free will and for. But if, if God is, dare I say, deemed the creator of all, yep, would it not go back to the base? So if, mm. <laughs> if I given, given the free will or not given them the ability to, mm-hmm. then why not? Why give them the ability if he was not going to take it away? Right. If it was such a detriment to his creation, why not smite it again? Why not just yeah. clear it out, be done with it? Yeah. What's the point? Because he used to let it go on and be like, hey, you need to fight. He did do a flood. Yeah. There was that. To, to your point. Yeah. yeah. He did get to a point where he was yeah. fed up with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But does he not have the power to just... He's got ultimate invaluable power. Absolutely. Just Why doesn't he use it? Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah. Just, Why not get rid of the bad crap yeah. and just That's make it all perfect? Why clean humanity when <laughs> sin's the problem? I suspect he wanted to be loved out of free will, not out of 
Yeah, I think it's the distinction of, of desiring those who love him because of who he is and for his kindness and his goodness, as opposed to a bunch of automatons. Yeah. You know, he can build a bunch of robots and do exactly what he wants them to do all the time. Um, but he, he chose not to do that. And at, the, at base, I mean, at, at the end of the day, to use a nice big cliche, what you're poking at are the hidden things of God that I don't have an answer for. Ultimately, I mean, we just, I, he doesn't reveal that to us. I don't know. Um, and, and, and it's one of the things that, you know, what we know about God is what he has revealed to us, right? We know his creation because you can look around and see that. That's Romans chapter 1. And we know who God is from his perspective through the scriptures. We know who we are from God's perspective through the scriptures. And we, that's how we understand that we are sinful, that we are, are, you know, our inclination is to separate ourselves from God. And we understand his plan of salvation, which is Jesus Christ, through the scriptures. And so there's plenty much that the scriptures don't talk about. And that's, that's one of the things on that list is, you know, why not? And I think it's a reasonable question, right? To say, why didn't you just nip this thing in the bud and, and eliminate that all possibility of evil before it created this. Yeah. Why create our imagination with the ability to choose right. to have evil, ugly right. stuff? And, and philosophically, I think probably the best we can get to is kind of what Whit was talking about, that, that God wants us to love him for who he is. He wants that true love because that's a reflection of what exists within the Trinity itself. Would it have something? Do about we don't have their understanding. His understanding. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My ways are not your ways, and yeah. It, so yeah. Why sure, sure. Well, I mean, too, like even even Christ before the crucifixion, like you know, Father, not my will, but your will. Mm -hmm. That's you know, I know that you could. So do I? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, Paul wrestles with it a little bit in Romans six and seven. You know, he talks about some of that stuff, and he's like, you know, that he talks about the grace of God and how astonishing it is, and and we look at our sinfulness and we look at the grace of God who covers that sinfulness and how amazing that is. And then he he, he goes to the ridiculous extremes. He's like, well, so okay, what do we do then? I mean, do we, you know, if if people see God's grace because of how He forgives my sinfulness, then maybe should I like sin a lot? So the people can really see God's grace, and he's like, "No, that no, that's not the point." But you know, he's kind of wrestling with the same things. It's like, you know, it, does God allow sin to continue because it reveals something about who He is in in the in the crucifixion of His Son and the forgiveness that comes through that and His grace that gets poured out undeservedly on sinful people. You know, we get to look at that and we get some idea of who God is, and that's amazing. So, you know, is that what's going on? I don't know. I don't know that that's necessarily a translatable scenario. Okay. Because if you were to use the same idea of the Holocaust, mm -hmm. of a terrible tragedy occurs, and then something good comes out of it in the end, whereas some might say that the good that comes out of it is now we have more protections. We watch over these types of things right. to make sure that they don't happen. Right. But at what cost? Right. So it, it's more of, dare I say, it's 
more revealing of what humans are. Yeah. Oh, I think that's a good point. That's a good God point. Wants us to that's a good point. Um, and I wouldn't suggest, I wouldn't, hang on one second, I, I wouldn't suggest for a second that like God was like, all right, cool, we're going to have a Holocaust because I'm going to make some good stuff happen. But I, I think some people might make that connection. And, and I think what happens is not that God allows something awful to happen because he's going to bring something good out of it, but when he allows something awful to happen, he often does then turn something good out of it. He, he brings something good out of it. But it's not like he... In, Tended it that way? Is that what were you going to say? I'm sorry. I'm still, I'm still formulating. Right? Yeah, it, it, um, the the picture that came to mind is it's like a parent parents with children. You raise them up, and you want them to <clears throat> to love you and follow you and your rules and how you do things and all that, and and you're so hard on them, and you're so mean about it and everything judgmental you know judgmental side of you is so great that the only reason they come is because they don't want your anger mm -hmm. versus i want my kids to come to me because they love me and they want to be with me and that's what god wants god god can do the judgment but he wants the free will of us coming to him because we want to spending more time which more time more knowledge more love all of that that's just a picture that mm -hmm. well that's like God God gave Christ the toughest job in the world you told him what the what the objective was he says you got the tools to do it go get it done and he gave him choices he could have called the whole deal off anytime he wanted to and he didn't yeah do you think I couldn't ask my father and he wouldn't send 12 legions of angels? He did say that. Yes, Robert. Well, also, um, God, like what he mentioned about the, um, all those people that died in, during World War II. Yeah. Um, I think also that God uses that as a lesson for us going into the future. Mm, so that we, yeah. we do not repeat those. We learn from our mistakes. We, uh, like he said, we provide some protection so that it doesn't happen in the future, but also he wants to give us free will to choose and to, um, so that his reflection is is is, uh, is is within us and it's reflected back to him. Yeah, yeah, and the blessing is that through the Holy Spirit we actually now can choose to do the good. Yes. Because he will lead us in that path. And that's, so Ephesians 2 Eight and nine, everybody knows that, right? You are saved by grace through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God so that no one may boast. We get that. But verse 10 goes on and says, we are created, uh, we are God's workmanship. And the, the Greek word is poema, which is the same word from which we get poem, which I think is awesome. So we're God's poem created for the good works that he planned for us ahead of time that we would walk in. And so there's, there's some good stuff that God wants us to do and that he leads us to and enables us to do through his Holy Spirit as we come to faith. Then. And, and all of a sudden, then, all of, the, all of the evil that we would do on our own, now we are able to do some things that actually benefit others. And it ultimately is about turning your focus outward. So our sinfulness curves us in on ourselves, right? And our sinfulness is all about me. And, and what God's desire is, is to turn that outward and say, no, listen, 
it's about God the Father and it's about your neighbor. So is that true and that's, free will? No, I think that's God's inter, that's God's intervention in our lives. That's the that's the sanctification and the work of the Holy Spirit that turns us then and reorients us toward God. So you know we talk about justification, where where our sins are taken away and that we can stand before God. Um, Righteous and clean, covered with Christ's righteousness, and then there's sanctification, which is that that work that the Spirit does within us through our entire lives to reorient our perspective, and to, and to turn us outward toward God and toward our neighbor. And that's I mean, summary of the Ten Commandments, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's where God wants to get us to, and that's the work that the Spirit does in our lives. I guess that's what I've always thought of as free will to make to, to do those things. That's to cool. Turn, to make that turning. So yeah, so so now understand that the cause and the source of that is the Spirit, and not anything within me. And you, I think you're right on. I think that's exactly right. Free will to reject the Spirit. Yeah, yeah. See, that's the weird thing. <laughs> we can't say yes, but we can say no. Yeah, yeah. That's the curious. It is. It is. And and I'll tell you, this is, I mean, Calvin wrestled with that because he he was a very logical guy, right? So Calvinism, Presbyterianism, and all that kind of stuff teaches what they call double predestination. That basically says God knew ahead of time if you would accept or if you would reject, and and therefore it's already determined, right? Yeah. And and essentially scripture kind of leaves that open and says, well, no, you can you can reject, you can say no to God. But you could never say yes. So again, it's all on God for that to happen. But yeah, and that's it's one of those weird tensions that that Luther was just like, I I don't get it, but you know, that's what scripture teaches, as opposed to like casting trying to lay some logic on top of something that our our reason doesn't fit. Yeah. But that that's a really good point. Because it, it doesn't make sense. You're absolutely right. It doesn't. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, as you read the Bible, uh, I read it several times, and the more I read, the more I understand a little bit more. Right. Um, this uh, the Holy Spirit is is one of those things that I hardly know anything about, yeah. other than what you've taught us and what other pastors have taught yeah. us. But we know more about Jesus and God than the Holy Spirit, and yeah. um, boy, uh, it's we need to learn more about this. There's, if you want a reading list, there's a professor at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, a guy named Leo Sanchez, who writes extensively on the Holy Spirit and, and in some really fabulous, creative, interesting ways. So go find anything written by Leo Sanchez. And, and, yeah, Leo Sanchez. He's terrific. It, and it's for just that reason, because, I mean, basically he's trying to answer the same question that you brought up. Is, you know... It's like we joke that the Holy Spirit is like the forgotten member of the Trinity. We're always like, yeah, Father and Son, and then that other guy. Yeah. And, and, and yet the Spirit is so pervasive and so present in our lives in ways that we don't even necessarily recognize. You know, it's the Spirit who brought you to faith. It's the Spirit who leads you in, in, in doing good. It's the Spirit who's there to constantly keep you in the faith and to forgive your sins and to draw you into this, you know, family of, of, Christianity and of the church and that that's all the spirit's work and yet we just don't think about it. Sometimes it's more pushing than leading. Sometimes, yeah, that's true. All right, good. Well, we ran late and I'm sorry, but I'm not really. 
Um, <laughs> let's close with a prayer. Thank you, Lord God, for all the blessings that you give to us. Thank you for the work of the Spirit in bringing us to faith and to trust in your Son, Jesus Christ, that we might know and understand that um, his life, death, resurrection, and ascension was all for us, that our sinfulness has been addressed and has been dealt with, that we might be with you always. We thank you for that. We thank you for the confidence of knowing that you have done everything needed to bring us to salvation. Be with us as we go forth from here. Um, keep us safe in our journeys, guide and lead us in everything that we do, that all of it might be pleasing to you and bring glory to your name. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. Well, thank you for joining us for today's Bible study. I pray that you learned a bit, that you met Jesus, and that your faith was built up through the discussion that you just heard. If you want to learn more about Holy Trinity, you can visit our website. It's www.holytrend.org. The website for the LCMS, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, is www.lcms.org. Thank you for listening. God bless you. Have a great week.